Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 39th program in this series. I'm presently in John chapter 8, and in John chapter 8, we have the confrontation between Jesus and the religious authorities in the temple with regards to the woman who was caught in adultery. And then after that confrontation, Jesus asserted that he is the light of the world. And this is found in John chapter 8, verse 12, where it says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. And then we have a continued conversation that is separate from the situation of the woman caught in adultery. We have a continued conversation. Now, when you look at this conversation and you pay attention to what Jesus was saying and what the people were saying, it's very easy to notice that there is a disconnect between the people, a disconnect in the sense that Jesus is talking about some things and the people are thinking about something totally unrelated to what Jesus is talking about, that it appears that the communication between the two is not very effective. There is the appearance that Jesus is speaking to these people and they just simply are not getting what he is saying. They are thinking about other things. And I think a really good way to understand these differences has to do with the mentality and the interests of the people there. Jesus has his interests. There are things that are important to him. And the people have their interests. And there are things that are important to them. This is not unusual when you have people relating to each other. It's not unusual at all for there to be somewhat of a disconnect between the individual people because they are interested in two or more different things. And they are not willing to pay attention to what is important to the other person, the person who they are communicating with. They are only concerned about themselves, what is important to them, what they think and what they understand so that they're not willing to consider what is important and what does the other person understand or believe. Therefore, the communication will be very limited between the persons. But in this case, Jesus is taking the opportunity to speak. And when he speaks, he knows that most of the people who are present there are not going to believe in him. But there will be some who will believe in him. And it is better for some to believe in him than nobody. So it's worth it to him to take his position, to hold his ground, 
and to assert what is important to him with the hope and with the expectation that somebody else there will agree with him and say that, yes, those things are important and not be so consumed with what they think themselves is important, of course, for themselves. Now, I think a reasonable way to describe this disconnect between the people who are having this conversation is to say that one group of people, namely the people who are there in the temple, who are communicating with Jesus, who initiated the confrontation with the woman caught in adultery, who are responding to Jesus asserting the fact that he is the light of the world, these people are more interested in authority. They are more interested in the enforcement of authority. In some ways, you could call this a courtroom mentality. A courtroom mentality in the sense that regardless of what the truth is, regardless of what reality is, the only thing that matters is victory in court. For example, with regards to the woman who was caught in adultery, they didn't care about the woman who was caught in adultery. They didn't care about her at all. They didn't care about the adultery. The issue that was important to them was could they find a way through a type of courtroom experience, could they find a way to bring a case or a cause or something against Jesus by what he says? Could they find some way to achieve a victory against Jesus regardless of what's going on, regardless of the legitimacy of their actions, regardless of what they really believe. The only thing that would be important to them would be, could they achieve a legal victory against Jesus such that they could have something that could be held against him? Therefore, through their authority, they could execute some enforcement against Jesus and force him into a situation that they would like him to be in, definitely something that is not in his interest. And so the people who Jesus is having this conversation with, these people, they are more interested in authority and the enforcement of the authority than they are interested in the truth and knowing Jesus. That was what was important to Jesus. What was important to Jesus was the truth. And whether or not people know him, do they know him? And do they know their God? That's what's important to him. You can see this in many religious congregations. You can see this in many religious circumstances where people are more concerned about what is going on with people's flesh then what is going on in their spirit? They are more concerned with whether or not others are repenting and obeying than whether or not they know their God. There is a greater concern about the management of the flesh. Jesus brings this up. If you continue to read in John chapter 8, Verse 14, Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. 
I judge no one, and yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. You can see the differences here, whereas they are more concerned about judgment, the enforcement of authority, that's their concern. What is Jesus' concern? His concern is what is true, and whether or not he is alone. And does he know his God? Does he know where he comes from? Does he know where he is going? That is what is important to him. Could you say that? Could you say that what is more important to you is not whether you're right or wrong, whether you have authority or you don't have authority, whether you are able to overcome or withstand the enforcement power of some judge, are you more concerned about that or are you concerned about what is true and that you live according to what the truth is? Because there are many times when there will be a difference between what is the truth and what is the decision from some judge executing his enforcement authority? There can be many differences between the truth and things like that. And are you alone? Do you have your God with you? Jesus said in verse 16, For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. Are you with God Are you with him or are you alone? Is he with you or are you alone? Do you know where you have come from? And do you know where you are going? These are the things that Jesus was speaking about to the people. And what is their concern? Their concern is, well, do we have the right number of witnesses? That's what they're concerned about. Going on into verse 17, it is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. Well, according to the law, truth is established by two or three witnesses. That is defined in the law. But just because you have two witnesses and their testimony concerning something may agree in every detail that doesn't necessarily mean that they are speaking the truth. They could either be lying, they could be dishonest, or they might truly, legitimately believe every word that they are saying. But just because they believe something that they are testifying of, that doesn't make it true. And this is an important point. The Pharisees would have accepted the testimony of two or more witnesses, even though what those witnesses testified of, they could very well believe themselves. But it doesn't make it true. Not always. So there may be the enforcement power of the judge. There may be the enforcement authority. And it may be well-supported by the proper procedures, and by the witnesses. They may have all of that perfect with regards to the requirements of the law. But that doesn't make it true. That's something else. That's something different. 
And so there is a disconnect in this conversation because Jesus is saying, look, what's important to me is not what's important to you. All you are concerned about is who are the witnesses. And what I am concerned about is what is the truth? Who am I? Who is God? Am I with him or am I not? Those are the things that are important to the Lord Jesus. In verse 18, I am one who bears witness of myself and the father who sent me bears witness of me. There's his two witnesses. Now, he spoke about this previously in John chapter five, when he explained to the religious authorities back then, when he was in Jerusalem previously, he explained that he had four witnesses and the father was one of those witnesses. Jesus spoke about this many times that the Father is his witness, God himself. You can look at the miracles that Jesus does. You can look at many things and see that God is testifying of him. So in verse 19, okay, they've got something to respond to, not just Jesus, but Jesus wants to present another witness. Let him go ahead and do that. His Father, all right? In verse 19, then they said to him, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. Well, that's what they're asking him. Where is your father? And you would think that the implication of that is that they genuinely want to know his father. But they don't. They're saying, all right, if this is your defense, then where is he? Bring him. Let us see him. It is your responsibility to bring him to us to defend yourself concerning whatever argument you feel is important. They were shifting the burden onto Jesus instead of taking personal responsibility for themselves. They should know his father. They should pursue a knowledge of his father, but they have no interest in that. That is not their interest. They don't care about knowing God. They don't. They don't care about knowing Jesus. He said, you know neither me nor my father. And they would say, that's right. And we don't care. We don't want to know. All we want to know is who are your witnesses and so that we can have our courtroom experience and we can have an argument or a confrontation or a struggle. We can have a conflict about that. That is what they were interested in so that they could maybe achieve a victory in that courtroom kind of encounter. And if they fail to achieve a victory, does that mean that they are going to believe the truth? Of course not. Of course not, because that's not in their interest. It's not about the truth. It's not about knowing the Father. It's not about knowing Jesus. To them, it's either you win or you lose. So there is a profound disconnect going on between the people here. In verse 20, John chapter 8, verse 20, these words, Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sin. 
Where I go, you cannot come. All right, so Jesus realizes that the conversation about whether he has witnesses or not isn't going to go anywhere. This is not going to help anything because they have no interest in knowing him, in knowing the Father, in knowing the truth. And Jesus has made this clear. He has exposed the reality that these people have no interest in this. And this is a way to call out to those who may have an interest. He is in the temple. He's in a public location. And there are many people who are paying attention to what's going on. Jesus is having a conversation with the religious leaders who are there. And there will be others. There were others who were listening and watching to this situation. And so Jesus, while it appears that he is speaking to the religious authorities, he really isn't. He is speaking to everyone else. That's who he's speaking to, hoping that somebody else might have an interest in what is true and might have an interest in knowing the Father and knowing him. So Jesus continues and he moves to the next topic. In verse 21 again, then Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. He makes a clear differentiation between himself and others. And he asserts that he is going to a place where they cannot go. Now, this opens up an opportunity for others to believe him. Because others can say, well, hey, you know, if I want to believe in Jesus, if I want to follow him, then I can go to a place where I can be safe. I don't have to be around all these people who are more concerned about the enforcement power of authority. These people who reject Jesus, who reject the truth, who don't want to know their God. If I follow Jesus, I might be able to go to this place where they can't go. And so they won't bother me and I will be free. I will be free to know this person, to know the one who sent him. And I can go where he is going. And where he is going sounds like it's the right place to be. So it's an invitation. Verse 21 is an invitation to everyone who is there, especially those people who are watching this interaction take place. Jesus also asserts here in verse 21 that you will die in your sin. And so he is inviting people to die in a different condition so that they will not die. In their sin. It's a subtle invitation. That's what this is. And so in verse 22, so the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And that is a rude comment. They are suggesting that the only way that Jesus can go anywhere that they can't go would be if Jesus committed suicide. The belief was that if a person committed suicide, then they automatically go to hell. And obviously the Pharisees are never going to do that. 
And so that's the only option. The only option is, is that Jesus is going to hell. That's what they say. It is a pure expression of contempt that they breathe out into the air. Verse 22. Will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. But they are the ones who are suicidal, not Jesus. They are the ones who are suicidal in the sense that they are willing to kill themselves than to embrace the truth that the enforcement of authority there in the flesh, according to the judges who are in power at the moment, are more important to them than the truth, than the living God. These things are more important to them than where they are going in terms of the kingdom of heaven. That is an attitude of a suicidal person. That a person is willing to die in their sins. That that is more important to them than to embrace the truth. So Jesus responds in verse 23 and he said to them, You are from beneath. I am from above. So they expressed their contempt towards him, suggesting that he is suicidal and he is going to hell. And he responds by exposing that they are the ones who are in that state. Not him, but they are. You are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. It is an absolute assertion. It is a response to their expression of contempt to make it absolutely clear that they may say that, but the truth is the exact opposite. And Jesus makes it a public issue, a public declaration for their benefit, hopefully, but more than that, for the benefit of everyone else who is paying attention. In verse 24, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, we know that the only way that a person will be set free from their sins is if God forgives their sins. That's the only way. And Jesus will die for everyone's sins. He will die for these people's sins. So that when they go before God in heaven, there will be no need for God to judge them according to their sins. The fact that they did not believe in the Messiah, that they did not receive the Holy Spirit, that they did not receive eternal life, the life that would remain in them eternally, the fact that they are spiritually dead, they will therefore have no place among the living, and they will be sent to hell accordingly. So they will die in their sins, but not in the sense that God will continue to hold their sins against them. God is about to provide for forgiveness for their sins. The sin issue will be resolved. From God's point of view, the sin issue is resolved. He does not need to hold their sins against them anymore. But they will go to hell and they will be forgotten. They will be forgotten. And they will die in their sins in the sense that since they rejected 
the forgiveness of God, they will live their lives with the consequences of rejecting the forgiveness of God. In that sense, they will continue to live in their sins. And when they die, they will die in their sins. And then they will be forgotten. So again, in verse 24, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. Now this is a very good response. They ask him, Who are you? And he says, I've been telling you all along. In other words, If you wouldn't pay attention to me before, why should I answer your question now? It is obvious to me that you don't care about the answer to that question. And if I do answer that question and you don't believe the answer, you don't think that what I am telling you is the truth, then you will still continue to reject the answer and you will still not know who I am, and I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 39th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 8, verses 17 to 25. And in this program, I explained the continued conversation that Jesus was having with the religious authorities, the Pharisees, in the temple compound after the conversation that he had with them concerning the woman who was caught in adultery. In this program, I showed how the conversation that Jesus was having with the people was very difficult because Jesus had interests that were different from the interests of the Pharisees there. The Pharisees there were more interested in the enforcement of authority than the truth and in knowing their God. So Jesus was effectively speaking to the observers of this conversation, wanting them to believe in him. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries, You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937 or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.